If you reach for your Bibles, we'll be reading our uh, scripture today out of Luke. Pastor Bruce will be speaking on another encounter with Jesus, this time a hated tax collector. Uh, we'll be reading out of Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And if you are in need of a few Bible, you can find one in front of you. You can find it this passage on page 1043. So follow along with me as I read Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone into the, to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. Lord, you are such a good, good God. And today we get the chance to come together as a body of believers to sing praises to you, but also to hear the words of your son from thousands of years ago, God, as he speaks to Zacchaeus, but he also speaks to us today. I pray that you would give Pastor Bruce the words to speak and that we would be open and listening and have our hearts open as well. In your name, amen. The story of Zacchaeus' encounter with Jesus. It is perhaps one of the better known stories in all the Bible that certainly kids uh, are taught in Sunday school or church or vacation Bible school, whatever the case might be. And perhaps you might remember yourself as a kid having heard the story of Zacchaeus. I, I can still remember uh, the child's song, the children's song that I learned as a kid. Uh, maybe a handful of you know that song where it says Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. Anybody remember? All right, some of you, yeah. All right, it goes on and says he climbed up into a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed by his way, he looked up in the tree. And he said, Zacchaeus, you come down for I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. And you're thankful that I did not sing the song. Rather, I just quoted the lyrics of the song. Well, you have to admit the idea of a wee little man perched up like a bird in a tree. It makes for a rather fun kid's story. But this encounter, it is not just for kids. This encounter is for all of us here this morning from young to old. It is for teenagers and for adults all alike. In fact, this encounter with Zacchaeus, it comes at a, a very serious time in the life of Jesus Christ. 
This encounter takes place at the end of Jesus' ministry on earth here. In fact, he's only days from arriving in the city of Jerusalem where he will be crucified for our sins. And so significantly, the the final line in this encounter tells the whole purpose for why Jesus came when Luke states it in verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so if you're here this morning and you've ever wondered to yourself, why did Jesus come? Why would he leave heaven to come to earth? Why would God send his son for us? This is why. This is the reason. This, in fact, is the very mission of Jesus Christ here stated in one sentence. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost so that people like you and I here this morning could experience life change. Now, in this particular encounter, Luke tells us whom this wee little man wanted to see, who wanted to see him, and how his life was altered, how it was radically changed as a result of his encounter with the Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, what's interesting about this is the name Zacchaeus. Uh, Like most biblical names, they have meaning to them. They have significance to the names. In Zacchaeus, is no different. Zacchaeus, the name, it actually means righteous one. Maybe you knew that, maybe you didn't, but imagine that, righteous one being the meaning of the name Zacchaeus, but as a tax collector in those days, that's like, you know, being named righteous and a tax collector, that's, that's somewhat of an oxymoron there. That's kind of like the town hooker being named Chastity. The name and the character, the conduct does not match up in any way. And that is certainly true here for Zacchaeus. You may be thinking, you know, what what place here? Well, Zacchaeus was far from living out his name. That is until Jesus changed his life. Now, you might be sitting there, you might be thinking to yourself, well, man, that's really good for Zac. I'm glad, I'm happy for him, but... But man, you don't know my life. You don't know who I am. You don't even know what I've done. There's no way Jesus can change my life. And that is simply not true. If God can change Zacchaeus into a righteous person, into actually living out the meaning of his name, then God can certainly do the same for you. And what we're going to see in this encounter is that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, Jesus can change your life. What Jesus did for Zacchaeus in this encounter is an example of what he can do for every one of us here this morning. So let's dive into it. And the first thing we learn in this encounter is that no matter who I am, Jesus came to seek me. No matter who I am in life, Jesus came to seek me. Now verse 1 here in Luke chapter 19, in dirt introduces us right away to the city where this encounter takes place. And it's the city of Jericho. Jesus has been to Jericho many times now, but this is his final time to pass through the city of Jericho on his way to the city of Jerusalem. Jericho was one of the more important cities of ancient Israel. It's located in the tropical plain about six miles west of the Jordan River, 
which made it a center of trade and commerce, business, industry, and agriculture. And what all that simply means is this. Jericho was a good place to be. And it was an even better place to live. By now, Jesus is also very well known. In fact, everybody either hates him or loves him. There's really no in-between here. After three and a half years of ministry, no one can ignore Jesus Christ. And so when word begins to spread that this miracle-working teacher has come to the city of Jericho again, let me tell you, the people by the hundreds flock down the street to see Jesus as he, as he enters their city. And that includes a man by the name of Zacchaeus. Now, there's a few observations, two in particular I want us to make right off the bat here that we see in these first few verses. And the first observation is this. Zacchaeus was desperately seeking Jesus. He is desperately seeking the Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 3 says, and he, that is Zacchaeus, was seeking to see who Jesus was. And the question is, why? Why? Was Zacchaeus so desperate to see Jesus? And the answer is found in understanding something about Zacchaeus, who he was. In verse 2 tells us, look at it. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Now, we can't fully understand the magnitude of this encounter without having a clear picture of who Zacchaeus was as a person. And Luke tells us specifically something about the man, or I should say, rather, about his occupation, and he is a tax collector. Now, it was a simple fact in the first century that tax collectors were, how should we say this? Well, they were greedy extortionists. They were thugs who used pressure, who used intimidation to extort money from the common people of Israel for the Roman Empire. In fact, history tells us that Israel was one of the most taxed nations in all of the first century. Back then, tax collectors were notoriously wicked people. In fact, Zacchaeus was considered to be a a traitor. He's considered to be a thief for two specific reasons, first of which is to partner with the Roman government in collecting taxes from other Jews. Your own people was a betrayal of one's family and one's nation and most of all, one's God. You see, as a collaborator with the Romans, Zacchaeus was public enemy number one. And then number two, the other reason why he's considered a traitor and a a thief is because the business of tax collecting in that day and age was inherently corrupt. In fact, the only way to profit from tax collecting was through mafia-like extortion that bribed the rich and muscled the poor. But Zacchaeus was more than just a simple tax collector. Luke tells us specifically that he was what? The chief tax collector, which means Zacchaeus was in charge of all the tax collectors in the city of Jericho, and that he was now able to take a a cut from the top from those who collected taxes for him, kind of stuffing his own pockets with shekels before he sent the taxes on to Rome. And so Zacchaeus was, in a sense, the ultimate middleman in this pyramid scheme. 
And since Jericho was considered a tax capital of Palestine, he is really in a good place in life. So no wonder Zacchaeus was so rich, Luke also tells us. He's a tax collector. He's the chief tax collector who was rich, wealthy. He might say he was the kingpin of the Jericho tax cartel. Now, please understand something about Zach. He has three strikes against him at this point in his life. The first strike is he's a tax collector, as we've already said. And tax collectors back then, they were not liked any better than tax collectors are like today. The second strike is he was a crook. He was a cheat, which made him filthy, rich in the fullest sense of the term. And then the third strike, he was working for whom? The hated Roman government who was, at that time, oppressing the Jewish people. And so we have here in this encounter, in the very first few verses here of Luke chapter 19, Luke tells us something about this man who is desperately seeking to see Jesus. We have a filthy, rich crooked tax collector working for Rome. And if you took a poll that day asking who's the most hated man in Jericho, Zacchaeus would have won in a landslide. People couldn't stand this guy. Couldn't stand the sight of him. Listen, he is the most despised and despicable man in all of Jericho, which helps us to understand a little bit why tax collectors in that day and age and in that culture were often linked with murderers and robbers and other despicable sinners in the minds of the people. And so when the people now who are coming out of the city of Jericho to run down the street to see Jesus enter the city, it helps us understand that when they saw Zacchaeus as well coming to see Jesus, there is absolutely no sympathy for him. None. Think about this. From a tax-collecting perspective, though, Zacchaeus had it made, did he not? I mean, he had it made. As a chief tax collector in those days, he was powerful, He was successful, and most of all, he was rich. And yet, he was desperate to see Jesus. That's interesting. Why? He had it made in life. In fact, if you take a poll in our culture today, most people would say, I'd like to be Zach. I'd like to have his life. That's what most people in our culture are working towards. And yet here is one who is desperately seeking to see Jesus. And the question is why? Why? Because notice this. It's in your notes coming up on the screen. You can be rich and not be happy. You can be powerful and not be loved. You can be successful and not be satisfied. You see, Zacchaeus learned the hard way, one of life's most basic lessons, and it hasn't changed since the days of Zacchaeus even to our day today, and that is money, power, and success cannot make you happy, loved, and satisfied. 
Zacchaeus was an empty man. Uh, I don't necessarily encourage you to go out and explore this, but you can't help but see it if you follow social media. But some of you probably are familiar with the lawsuit and the trial that's going on between two celebrities, Johnny Depp and his wife, Amber Heard, that are now separated, maybe even divorced. I can't remember if they're divorced, but it's a nasty, bitter trial. And as you know, Johnny Depp is the star of this movie series that he has earned millions and millions and millions of money from. Amber Heard starred in Aquaman, made millions. Here you have two people that are celebrities and that are wealthy beyond what we can even imagine. And yet when you hear some of the trial and what is coming out in it, they are two miserable people. There is absolutely no joy in their life whatsoever. None. They are empty, just like Zacchaeus is empty. Why? Because money, power, and success cannot make you happy, loved, and satisfied. Something was missing in Zach's life. And that's why I think Zach wanted to see Jesus so desperately. Perhaps he heard somewhere along the line that Jesus had met Levi. Remember Levi in the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. Here, Levi is another tax collector, the same occupation. Jesus had met Levi, encountered him, and changed his life in a radical way, who is now one of Jesus' followers. This was a tax collector, Levi, that Jesus had dinner with, and whose life was radically changed. And perhaps Zach is thinking, if Jesus could do that for that tax collector, Maybe, just maybe he has something to offer to me. You see, Zacchaeus, I think, had a hole in his heart that made him desperate to see Jesus, but he had a problem as well. Luke tells us in verse 3, look at it with me again. Luke 19, verse 3, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, and now we come to his little problem, but on account of the crowd, he could not. He could not what? He couldn't see Jesus because he was small in stature. And that's kind of just Luke's way of saying the guy's vertically challenged. He's small in stature. He's short in stature. Nevertheless, he's also desperate to see Jesus. And so as you can picture this, he is pushing his way through the people. He is standing on his tiptoes just trying to peer through somebody's shoulders as they're clamoring around the road to see Jesus, and he cannot get a glimpse of Jesus. Now, just stop and think about this. You know, when a guy is short, or at least shorter than you, you don't mind if he stands in front of you, right? Why? Because you can still see. Zacchaeus is short. But this crowd, they won't even let Zacchaeus in anywhere. Even though he's shorter than the crowd, or at least most of them, they will not let him in. Why? Because they hate him. They despise him. They know who he is. And I can just imagine Zacchaeus getting kind of hip-checked, like he's in a hockey game, elbowed like he's in a soccer game. You like that, Kayla? When people turn and see that it's Zach, they're like, we're not moving for you. You're a scumbag. You're a disgusting little pig. No way. Out of here. Now, Zacchaeus may be short, but he isn't slow. Verse 4 says, notice it. So he ran on ahead. 
And he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus, for he was about to pass that way. Now, it's kind of easy for us to kind of gloss over that verse, because in our culture, that's like, yeah, okay, whatever. Good for Zach. I'm glad he had the initiative to run ahead, climb up into a tree to see Jesus. But you got to understand, in that culture, especially if you are somewhat of a prominent individual, and certainly as a man, culturally, you just did not run in those days. It was highly unusual for a man to run in those days, much less a wealthy government official like Zacchaeus. And it would have been highly undignified for a man to be seen climbing a tree, even childish. But Zacchaeus is desperate, and he wasn't going to allow anything, not the crowd or his stature, to stand between him and his desire to see Jesus. So Zacchaeus thought he, though he was desperately seeking Jesus, but Jesus was desperately seeking him. In fact, what we see in our second observation here is Jesus was graciously seeking Zacchaeus. There's this great commotion and excitement now as Jesus comes walking through the crowds of people. And then something amazing happens here in verse 5, where we read, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, that is to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Now, Just think about this. Can you imagine Zacchaeus perched up in the tree? And can you imagine how Zacchaeus must have felt when he heard those words from the one whom he's desperate to see? You can write over verse 5 here the word grace. The word grace. Because here we see God's grace in action. We see it in salvation. It is the ultimate divine appointment coming together now. In fact, in this verse here, Jesus did two things that absolutely shocked the crowd as well as Zacchaeus. First, Jesus called the biggest crook in Jericho by his name. Remember Zacchaeus' name, it means righteous one, and yet he was anything but righteous. And this may have been the first time in years that he was called by his name. Most people just called him crook probably. You cheat, you scoundrel, you scumbag. Jesus doesn't call him any of those things. He calls him by his name, and it makes you wonder, how did Jesus even know his name? Because Jesus knows all of our names. From the beginning of the foundation of the earth. He knows you intimately. He knows you personally. And so what blew the crowd away, what shocked Zacchaeus, is he called this biggest crook in Jericho by his name. Second of all, Jesus now invited himself as a guest at the house of the biggest sinner in Jericho. This was unthinkable in the minds of the people. And so no wonder they say to themselves in verse 7, and when they saw it, they all grumbled that Jesus would do such a thing. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And so it tells you a little bit about the mindset of the crowd. That teachers and rabbis, they don't associate with those kinds of people. And that's what Jesus is doing here. And yet, don't miss this. Zacchaeus has done nothing to deserve the grace that Jesus is showing him. 
absolutely nothing. He doesn't deserve any of this. First of all, he's too small in his stature. But more importantly, his sin is way too big. Jesus calls him by name when he is the worst man in the city. That's grace. Jesus invites himself to his house when he's the biggest sinner in the city. And that, too, is grace. I love what one pastor writes. He said, God moves near to you in Jesus Christ with welcoming arms. No matter who you are or what you have done, God comes to you. He keeps coming to you. He keeps extending his love to you until you come out of the tree and bring him home. Now, before we move on, we probably need to point out a very crucial truth about all of us here this morning. And that is this. There is a a little bit of Zacchaeus in all of us and a whole lot of Zacchaeus in most of us. And here's why. We share Zacchaeus' same two problems in life. We, myself included, I, I am too small and my sin is too big. You see, in a spiritual sense, all of us are small in stature and all of us are big in sin. We're not able to measure up to God's standards that he has set for us according to what Paul writes in Romans 3.23 where he says, for all have sin and what? Fall short of the glory of God. We don't measure up to that glory, that standard of holiness that God has. We're small in our stature, but we big in our sin and we fall short here. And the consequences of this spiritual problem that we all have, all humanity has, is that it separates us from God Almighty. And that's why we need now the very grace of God to redeem us and to reconcile us back to God through His Son, Jesus Christ, who, as Luke said, came to seek and to save the lost. Aren't you thankful for that? And so like Zacchaeus, in a a way, we might say it this way, we are up in a tree and we are hanging out on a limb. And we are hopeless and helpless unless the grace of God reaches out to you through Jesus Christ like he did with Zacchaeus. Now this encounter, who doesn't love the story of Zacchaeus? But it's packed full of so much truth. Grace-filled truth for us here this morning. And so this encounter shows that no matter who I am here in life, Jesus came to seek me. Yes, you. But it also shows, number two, that no matter what I've done, Jesus came to save me. No matter what I have done in life, he came to save me. You see, the people thought that Zacchaeus was a wealthy man and Even though they despised him, they may probably more than likely were a little envious of his wealth, thinking the guy's got it made. He lives at a place where we wish we could live at. But in reality, he was just a bankrupt sinner who needed God's amazing grace. 
So it's no surprise that Zacchaeus practically fell out of the tree when Jesus called him by name. Verse 6 says, notice it. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And so if we can write over verse 5 the word grace, then we can write over verse 6 here the word faith. Because that's exactly what Zacchaeus is demonstrating when he received Jesus joyfully into his home and into his heart. And notice how quickly Zacchaeus responds to Jesus Christ. Luke tells us that he, he hurried and came down and received Jesus. Now, I'll say there is certainly a, a time and there is a place for, for curiosity, uh, for seeking, for, for wanting sincere questions to be answered and searching out those answers to your questions about Jesus Christ and the scriptures and God and things like that. And so there's a time and a place for curiosity. In a sense, there's a time and a place for, for sitting up in a tree and, and looking down at Jesus to see who is this man who claims to be the Son of God that has come to seek and to save the lost world. But folks, there's also a time and a place for getting down from the tree and receiving Jesus the way Zacchaeus did. He believed in Jesus almost as soon as Jesus called him. In fact, his faith is confirmed by the way he even addressed Jesus in verse 8, where it says, Behold, Lord! And that was more than just a title of respect for this rabbi, this teacher. Listen, that was Zacchaeus' first confession of faith in Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord. And because of God's amazing grace in Jesus Christ, Zacchaeus that day experiences spectacular salvation. Woo! Let me tell you, all of heaven was celebrating. The angels were throwing a party, just like they do when somebody even today experiences a spectacular salvation. This is a wonderful picture of the grace of God saving the worst of sinners, as Jesus declares in verse 9, Today, salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. Whoa. And again, they may not mean much to you right now. He is a son of Abraham. But that statement that Jesus says of Zacchaeus is full of meaning and magnitude. In fact, by calling Zacchaeus a a son of Abraham, Jesus was in a sense welcoming him into God's forever family, his eternal family. This is a spectacular salvation, especially when you consider that in that day, the Pharisees claimed that they themselves, they were the only true children of Abraham. Therefore, they were the only ones that had the right to be included in God's family. But it was all based on their self-righteousness, what they were trying to earn. And do. And here Jesus comes, and it's all based on grace, nothing that Zacchaeus has done. He hasn't earned anything. And by grace, through Zacchaeus' faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus declares to him, You are now part of God's family. You are now a son of Abraham. And what Jesus is saying is that tax collectors, can you imagine, like Zacchaeus, 
could be part of God's family too. In other words, no one needs to stay outside. There is always more room in God's family for sinners who are saved by God's amazing grace. And, and one commentator says this, David Gooding, he writes, and I just love what he writes here. He says, in that moment, Zacchaeus not only saw who Jesus was, he discovered his own long lost identity. He was a man loved by God with an eternal love and longed for so much that God sent his own son on purpose to find him and to rescue him from his lostness by coming personally to his home and bringing the sense of acceptance with God into his very heart. Whoa! And so Zacchaeus' salvation, and by the way, just like your salvation, was spectacular. It was amazing. In fact, notice there's a couple of points of truth here about Zach's salvation. First of all, Zacchaeus experienced God's saving grace that day. And I want you to consider something about God's saving grace in the life of this man. Because one chapter earlier, and this is so interesting of how Luke puts this together, is we have another encounter with Jesus. In fact, it's another encounter with somebody who's very wealthy. In fact, Luke calls him this rich young ruler. This rich young ruler comes to Jesus, encounters Jesus. He declares to Jesus, I want to follow you. And so Jesus told him to sell all he had, and to give the proceeds to the poor. You say, why would Jesus say that to him? Does that mean that he's saying that to me? No, that doesn't mean Jesus is telling you to do that. But Jesus knew something about this rich man, this young ruler. He knew that he loved his riches way more than he loved God. And so when the rich young ruler heard what Jesus said, He went away, Luke tells us, very sorrowful in his heart. Why? Because he was very rich. In other words, he wasn't willing to let go of his riches. He's hanging on to those riches because he thinks those riches will make him happy, give him significance. He hasn't yet come to the place in his life like Zacchaeus had. And then what's really interesting is what Jesus says after that encounter with this rich young ruler, Jesus makes this very unsettling statement in Luke chapter 18, if you want to look at it in your Bibles, and notice verses 24 through 27. Jesus looked at him and said, Oh, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now that just ought to stop us in our tracks. how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the reason Jesus says that is because most rich people depend on their riches and they're not willing to depend and trust on God for their salvation. And then Jesus goes on, he says, Indeed, it's even easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And you're like, that's impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And that's the whole point that Jesus is making. 
Those who heard Jesus say this asked, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And so with that pronouncement, fresh on the minds of Jesus' hearers and followers, they must have been waiting in anticipation now to see what's going to happen when Jesus now encounters another very rich person in Zacchaeus. After all, Jesus had just said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich like Zacchaeus to enter the kingdom of God. And everyone knew Zacchaeus was filthy rich. He must have thought, well, why is Jesus even wasting him time, wasting his time with this guy? Why would he want to go to the scoundrel's house? Because Jesus knows something here. He knows that what is impossible with man, with us, is possible with God. In that day, Zacchaeus experienced the impossible, if you will. He experienced a a spectacular salvation because he experienced God's amazing saving grace. And it blew people out of the water. But Zacchaeus didn't just experience God's saving grace. He experienced God's transforming grace. You might say his changing grace. Now, again, if we would have taken a survey of the people in Jericho and asked, well, who is the least likely person in your city to change his life? It would have been a unanimous vote. Well, that crooked tax collector, Zacchaeus, there is no hope for him. Once a tax collector who is a cheat and scoundrel and thief, always a tax collector who is a cheat, scoundrel, and thief. And so the people of Jericho had written Zacchaeus off long ago, but not Jesus. And when Zacchaeus experienced God's saving grace, he also experienced God's transforming grace in his life. Because when Jesus comes into your life, there are changes that comes with Jesus. Now it is true that Jesus accepted Zacchaeus despite who he was. But it's equally true that Jesus did not leave Zacchaeus where he was in his life. It's no secret Zacchaeus had a problem. And the problem was not just that he was short or vertically challenged. You see, Zacchaeus' bigger problem was he had been a crook for many, many years. And that's how he became filthy rich in his life. But now Zacchaeus and Jesus are are eating together, and the problem is that people are looking at the old Zac, and they are judging him by the old standards. And when they see Zacchaeus, all they see is the man that he used to be. They don't understand that the man who came down from the tree is now a brand new Zach with a brand new life and with a brand new set of values. All they see is the old Zach. And so if you're Zacchaeus, how do you now show to the world, especially these people that know you in the city of Jericho, that you have become a new man by the power of Jesus Christ? Well, Zacchaeus doesn't leave us wondering. 
He actually tells us in verse 8, look at it. Behold, Lord, my Lord and Savior, behold, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. In other words, don't miss that verse there in verse 8. It is key. Zacchaeus is saying something like this. He is, he is saying, and at the t- same time, he's saying he's doing. He's saying, I've got a lot of money, but I got it the wrong way. So, Lord, I'm going to take half of it right off the top and give it to the poor. And then I'm going to use the other half to pay back anybody I've cheated. And just so they'll know I'm a changed man, I will pay them back fourfold. Whoa. And so it's obvious from what Zacchaeus did that a genuine transformation has taken place in his life, in his heart. And he immediately starts divesting himself of his wealth that he accumulated by cheating and stealing. This is amazing. Zacchaeus offered to give away, think of it, just 50% of his possessions. 50%. I'm going to give away 50% of everything I own. And then he says, I'm going to pay back 400% to anyone that I have wronged, which was way more than the law of Moses required. And so these acts of charity by Zacchaeus, this act of restitution by Zacchaeus, let me tell you, it was going to cost him a fortune. It was going to cost him all of his wealth, in other words. And so unlike this rich young ruler who was unwilling to divest of his wealth, Zacchaeus was. You see, God's changing grace transformed his value system. He discovered almost instantly that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And now that Zacchaeus was accepted in Christ, he didn't have to hoard everything for himself. He was now able, and more than that, he is now willing to give back what he had taken through the power of God's transforming grace. Now, don't miss the principle here. Because you're like, well, man, I'm happy for Zach on that. And it's easy to sit there and say, I'm happy for Zach on that. Good for him. But there is an application truth here for all of us, including me, of what we see here. And that is this. The reality of your new life in Christ will be seen most at the point of your old weaknesses before Christ. Now, for Zacchaeus, the point of his weakness was what? Well, it was greed. First and foremost, he was one greedy little scoundrel. Therefore, that is the point at which his new life in Christ had to be demonstrated or else nobody in the city of Jericho would believe that he had really experienced God's saving grace. When you, when I, when we here, when we come to Jesus Christ, let me tell you, if your problem is gossip, if that area doesn't change, don't think anybody is going to buy your Christianity just because you now come to church. If immorality, 
or lust is your problem, then that's the area that has to change. And if that doesn't change, then then going to a grow group or serving in ministry isn't going to convince anybody. If bitterness in your heart, resentment that has taken root is your problem, that's the area where God's transforming grace has to begin to work in your life. If treating people like dirt is your problem, that's the area that has to change. If a bad temper, if anger is your problem, then that's where change has to be demonstrated by the transforming grace of God. Yes, yes, it is true. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, but unless your faith is backed up by the evidence of a changed life, no one's going to believe you. You say, why is that? Because while we are, and hear me carefully here, while we are justified before God, before holy God, by our faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, we are oftentimes justified before our peers, our family, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, by our works. In other words, by our conduct, how we live, what we value, our priorities. You say, why is that? Because only God can actually see your faith and accredit you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. But the only thing people out here see is your works. Is your conduct changing because your character is now changing like Zacchaeus. You see, there's no contradiction in this either, folks. Talk all you want about your faith, but then show it by the way you live. That's what Zacchaeus is doing here. By the way, that's what James chapter 2 is all about. Faith, James says, without any works is dead. In other words, what James is telling us is the same thing what Zacchaeus is showing us in that true salvation always results in a changed life. Now, not overnight. Zacchaeus happened almost instantaneously. For many people, it is a process. It's progress. It's what the Bible calls progressive sanctification after our justification that God has declared us righteous before him. But folks, there ought to be some evidence. And if there's no evidence, then we we ourselves, we ought to be checking our hearts before God and asking, am I truly saved? Is the Holy Spirit even indwell my heart? What's going on here? And just FYI, we, you maybe, some of you may be wondering, well, what's, what's Bruce going to preach? What, what's, our sum, what's our series going to be after this in the encounter series? It's going to be through the book of James. That will be our summer series, by the way. So this encounter, stepping back, big picture now, this particular encounter shows that no matter who I am in life, no matter what I've done in life, God's grace is powerful enough to do what? To seek me out and to save me. And we all say what to that? Hallelujah, right? We ought to get excited about that. And if you're not, something's wrong. Woo, yeah. I know some of you got excited about the Chiefs draft, but get excited about this. 
Listen, God's grace is powerful enough to seek me and to save me. Zacchaeus experienced God's grace because Jesus graciously sought him out when everyone else despised him. It was God's grace that prompted Zacchaeus to see Jesus and even to respond to Jesus in his repentance and faith. One pastor and author, Ken Hughes, says it, says it this way. Zacchaeus was caught by grace. And I just love that. Because in his seeking, he was sought by grace. You see, the truth of the matter is, I am Zacchaeus. And you are Zacchaeus as well. I may not be short in stature, you may not be short in stature, but we here, all of us, are certainly spiritually short in our own ability and capacity to save ourselves. So let me ask you, is God's grace seeking you, tugging at your heart? Is His grace compelling you to come to Jesus Christ and to respond to his saving grace. If so, then like Zacchaeus, you may be in a sycamore tree and Jesus is calling out your name. Come. Jesus may be saying to you, hurry down from your religion. Hurry down from your traditions. Hurry down from your striving. Only my grace can save you. Come down. Don't spend another second trusting in yourself. Don't spend another second climbing trees. Don't spend another second believing that you can be satisfied by anything other than me. Hurry on down from the trees that you are climbing, from the sins you're stuck in, from the labels you're trying to hide behind. Jesus says, come down quickly, for I'm coming to your house today. You say, well, what does that mean? What do I do? How do I respond? How do I come down? Let me offer you, let me leave you three ways, three action steps. Number one, respond with faith. Respond this morning with faith if you haven't already. You say, well, where is Zacchaeus' faith in this encounter? I don't see it. It's not even mentioned. And you're right. It is not mentioned. His faith is not mentioned directly in this encounter. But it is certainly evident in this encounter by his repentance of sins and his willingness to make restitution. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. And that it's not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Greg Gilbert, who is a pastor in Louisville, Texas, he's written a few books. He says it this way in his book, What is the Gospel? And he says, I quote, Putting your faith in Christ means that you utterly renounce any other hope of being counted righteous before God. Do you find yourself trusting in your own good works? Faith means admitting that you are woefully insufficient and trust Christ alone. Do you find yourself trusting in what you understand to be your good heart? Faith means acknowledging that your heart is not good at all and trusting Christ alone. It means jumping off the edge of the pool and declaring, Jesus, if you don't catch me, I am done. I have no other hope, no other Savior. Save me, Jesus, or I die. That's faith. So have you responded in faith to the person and work of Jesus Christ, what he has done for you on the cross and in his resurrection? And then respond with haste. Jesus told Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. And let me just tell you, if you've ever climbed a tree, it is not easy to hurry down out of a tree. 
the likelihood of falling and breaking an arm is, it is great. Maybe Zach just jumped down. We don't know. But one thing we do know is he didn't waste any time responding to Jesus. And neither should we. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, now is the day of salvation. Hebrews 4.7 says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Listen, you may not have tomorrow like you think you do. So respond today with haste to the grace of God. To his saving grace and his transforming. And then last, respond with joy. I love the Zacchaeus, it says, received Jesus joyfully. That literally means he received Jesus just with rejoicing, uncontrollable rejoicing. Why? Because that's the response when God's saving grace floods your soul. When you understand that no matter who I am or what I've done, Jesus came to seek me and save me, great joy will be your response. Why did Jesus come? Listen, Jesus came to seek you and save you so that we could be changed and made fitting for all of glory before God Almighty. And exhibit A would be Zacchaeus. And exhibit B can be you through the grace of God. If you'll respond to his seeking and saving grace. Jesus came so he can say to you, today salvation has come to this house, your house, with your heads bowed. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for encounters like this one. I thank you, Father, that when in my own life, when I was far from you, you sought me and you brought me into a right relationship with you. All because of Jesus Christ and his death for my sins and his victorious resurrection that shows his power to make all things new. So thank you for creating new life in me. And Father, there may be others here who say the same prayer thanksgiving, and there are some here who've come to just find out more. Father, this morning for some it may be very clear they need to respond to your saving grace. And so if that's you, if you're here today and you've been feeling this this internal quest, this tugging of God at your heart, and this morning you know that you need what Zacchaeus needed, then let me encourage you to just acknowledge that in a simple, humble prayer, that you need Jesus to forgive your sin and to become the leader of your life. Just pray something like this, God, I need your help, and I'm trusting Jesus to forgive my sin and bring me a new life out and from today forward. And I invite Jesus to lead me. Heavenly Father, we know it's your heart's desire to wash away all that's old and sinful and dirty and clean. Our hearts from the sin and junk it has. And so, Father, I thank you for the new life you've brought and the desire to bring it to all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.